Hello and welcome to Plato's Cave, a film criticism show and podcast. I'm your host, Paul Anthony Nelson, and joining me in the cave tonight are Sally Christie. Hello, hello. And Flick Ford. Hello. On tonight's show, we'll experience no fate but which we make as we choose to look at the sixth entry in the Terminator movie series, Terminator Dark Fate. We'll talk about heads, baby. Talk about you and me as documentarian Genevieve Bailey gets men to open up about their struggles with mental illness in her film Happy Sad Man. And for our retro title this week, we'll hit the court and drive deep toward the basket as we revisit Steve James's landmark 1994 documentary, Hoop Dreams. Opening with Sarah Connor's famous two million sunblock rant from Terminator 2, Judgment Day, we pick up Sarah Connor in Linda Hamilton's first return to the franchise since that 1991 film. Uh, Seven years later, uh, de-aged and holidaying with her son, John, a completely computer-generated Edward Furlong. (laughs) (laughs) Seemingly happy. (laughs) Edward Furlong is credited as John Connor reference. Is he really? Yeah. Okay, I'll talk about this in a second. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Seemingly, they're both seemingly happy when tragedy suddenly strikes. 22 years later, we're in the present day, or 2020 as it were, uh, when a familiar growing, uh, glowing electrical ball heralds the arrival of Grace, played by Mackenzie Davis, an augmented cyborg from the future who's been sent back to protect a young woman named Danny Ramos, played by Natalia Reyes. Danny's discovery the next morning that her brother's job will be phased out for an automated robot will soon be the least of her worries, because... Like Sarah Connor 35 years ago, an unstoppable Terminator has also arrived in town, mercilessly hunting her down. Known as the Rev-9, and played by Gabriel Luna, this Terminator is comprised of both liquid metal and an endoskeleton. He's kind of the why-can't-we-have-both taco girl (laughs) of Terminators. Taco Terminator. (laughs) And and no, that's not a reference to his ethnicity. Um... As as Grace struggles in her first battle with the Rev-9, her and Danny are saved at the last second by version 2020 Sarah Connor, striding into battle, brandishing rocket launchers and grenades. This buys them some time as Grace is resolute in her vow to protect Danny at all costs. Danny gradually learns why she's being hunted from the future, and Sarah, still dealing with PTSD and loss, vows to vanquish any Terminator Dick and Harry who shows up. (laughs) But who is mysteriously tipping her off to where the T-bones are going to show up before they get there? (laughs) And where does OG Cyberdyne Systems Model 101, Arnold Schwarzenegger, making his first return to the series in person, not a computer-generated object since 2003, fit fit into all this? It's also important to note that this is the first Terminator film James Cameron has been involved with since Terminator 2, co-producing and co-writing the story here. Sally! Did you find this to be an advanced model of Terminator or is it time this franchise hit the scrap heap? Um, before we get into that, I, I want to talk about Edward Furlong a bit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because of when I... John Connor reference. Yeah, John Connor <laughs> reference. I was wondering, I was talking to my partner about it, how they were going to handle the Edward Furlong situation because it's like, they're not going to put him in the movie. It's not going to happen, poor Edward Furlong. Um, yeah, so... I don't know, I thought it a little bit bad for Edward Furlong that they'd just done a CGI um, reference and called it John Connor reference. <laughs> yeah. Poor old Edward Furlong. Oh, yeah, what's, what's, is he just not 
acting. Mm, well, he's in things. His IMD page has IMDb page has credits. He was in the remake of Night of the Demons. Yep. Yes. He's, they're not high Looking quality a credits. Looking worse for wear, but you know, <laughs> he was so good in Terminator as well, like the early ones. Like and it's such Amer- a shame. American History X at yes. the end of the nineties. I love he's that film. In that. Yeah, yep. and he's so good at playing like a troubled kid. I know. I guess he's that look. an adult now yeah. and a troubled adult. <laughs> a troubled maybe. adult. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. So anyway, I was. Uh, I couldn't not comment on it for long enough. But um, I did – this was Linda Hamilton's film, like, from where to go. It was just her film. It's interesting now, I think, seen as – and certainly Fury Road wasn't the first film to have, you know, a female in the lead of an action film. We've seen that lots in Alien, et cetera, et cetera. But it's kind of seeming to be getting a bit of steam since Fury Road came out with our Furiosa. And, um, yeah, this was definitely – it should have had sisters are doing it for themselves as their sort of like final song. <laughs> but it was definitely, you know, an empowered female sort of trio that were running this show when everyone else was on the back burner. So that was really delightful. Um, the dialogue was terrible, like so atrocious. That I love I, that bit when she like, I think on five or six occasions, she like mentioned she's a hybrid. I'm like, thank you. Yeah, I think I we got, got it. that. I got it. <laughs> it was so yeah. like just the dialogue was terrible. But it was um, exactly what, you know, you were kind of expected to be. I went to see this yesterday at IMAX and it was wow. just awesome to see on a huge screen. And um, I love Arnold Schwarzenegger so much. Like, I just love him and I loved him in this. I loved his shit jokes that he made. <laughs> oh, the bit about when he's going and talking about the drapes. That was my yeah, five favourite favorite bit. Yeah. <laughs> so funny. So... Him. Carl's drapery. <laughs> yeah, there was there was nothing uh, I think new or sort of overly inventive about this, but it was highly highly enjoyable. Yeah, mm. I'm a bit embarrassed. I saw this at um uh, a cinema that had the feature of being able to recline your chair the entire way down. So I took full advantage of that and somehow fell asleep during a wow. good chunk of the fight scene. <laughs> Which I think is a comment on the film. Personally, I was a little bit sleepy, but uh, no, I just found this terrible. I really didn't like it. I I was kind of excited by the, um, oh, what's her name? Mackenzie. To Mackenzie Davis, yeah. Yeah, I actually thought she was really good. And she, I love, um, I loved the physicality of the early fights between the two, the Terminator hybrid and, and the other Terminator. But um, I don't know, it just made me really wish... I was watching the old Terminator films. They're just mm. so good. Like the, the first Terminator is so fantastic. Oh, see, I'm more of a T2 fan. I like them both, but yeah. I, I really I, love the first Terminator. I, I almost mm. think it's almost generational because yeah. I feel like, yeah, a lot of people sort of, yeah, I, I, I definitely prefer the first one. I love the second one, yep. mm. but the first one's always the one I, I, I feel I go back to. To be honest, I, I don't think I've seen any of the other ones. The, oh, I yeah. no! I actually watched the, when I after watching this film, I came back and watched all the trailers for T one, <laughs> two, and three. And halfway through the trailer, of towards the end of the trailer for Terminator three, which I was sure I hadn't seen, I'm like, oh wait, I did see this film. I just really <laughs> didn't like it and had tried to erase it from my memory. What what, what about Terminator Salvation and Terminator Genesis? Oh, I forgot about those. I didn't what? even. It's like Genesis them. is spelled wrong. It's like G E N Y S I E S or something. Did Christian Bale play John Connor? Yeah. Salvation, okay. yeah. Jenny mm. yeah. sis, I, I insist on saying it like that because it's like if they're going to spell it stupid, I'm going to say, say it, it stupid. stupid. Yep. Um, it's the only one I haven't seen. And that's yeah. all with Jason Clark as John Connor and Amelia Clark, no relation. Daenerys Targaryen plays Sarah Connor. 
and like says things like "Come with me if you want to live" and all this. Like the films are constantly throwing back to. That, they, they do that a lot in this yeah. film too, though. I- <laughs> Genesis looked like a mixtape of the first few films. This is, yeah, this one is all those, it's just like someone winking at you constantly yes. and nudging you in the li- in the ribs. I don't actually mind. I feel like the earlier films had that. It's just that they do it so poorly yeah. this time around. And it's such a shame because, <laughs> I, sorry, that's so harsh. But, but I, I honestly feel like why, I, I don't mind the humour that's underlying mm. a lot of the earlier Terminator films. I just found it very frustrating when you would kind of, get this moment where the script was just so poor and the films always had a really sort of Mm. tight script and very funny and very... I don't know, there's something to them. It, a darkness. What about Arnie? Did you like him? In this? You know what? He was actually... I was pretty... When he showed up finally, I was just like, oh, he actually is pretty good My in big this. complaint, not enough Arnie. There should have been more Arnie. Well, Arnie's like the blunt instrument they use to yes, do things. That's it, so true. It's funny. It's like I, I feel like I enjoyed this more than I probably should have. I felt like that too. Yeah. I did. I really, really it's, had a good time watching it. I don't think it's particularly defensible. Like, no. I don't think it's a particular, like, I, and I always have a problem when the the supposed like the good the, the good character, the heroic character, who isn't even an anti-hero. Like, Grace is a hero, mm. and yet she's killing so many people on this freeway chase, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, running true. so many cars off the road. Like her and the and the K nine. I keep calling them the K nine, <laughs> the, the, the Rev nine, which sounds like some sort of milk. Um, <laughs> Grace and the Rev nine are like even in first. How many people they're killing on this freeway? It's very strange. I yeah, but. And it goes out of its way to be very 2019. Like again, we're like with the putting the, like putting the women front and center, and yeah. having lines like, you know, oh well, no, actually that would be a spoiler. I'm not going to say that. But uh, yeah, there's lots of they're, they're trying very hard to tap into uh, current political issues, and I, I won't go into that either. But um, yeah, they're trying to kind of make it relevant to there. It's like yes, you don't need to. Like you don't need to make a political comment. No. You're a Terminator film. Like it's okay. <laughs> you, you can just be. an action film it's all right I was actually really I was really hoping when I saw the trailer for this one that I would see a there'd be like a montage with Linda Hamilton training like I was really like I thought you were going to say like Rambo Last Blood where they have the big montage of all five films oh my god that would be great I was I did wait around for for the end credits just be like maybe there'll be I was expecting uh, no that's another spoiler I was expecting something to come back Mm, yes yes (laughs) Um, anyhow uh no, I, I really love Linda Hamilton and I think that um, when I saw the trailer I was very excited to see her on screen because there's not really many older, well, really, I can't, and we were talking before about female action heroes, mm-hmm. but they're all relatively young women yes. and I think that just having her on screen and sharing that screen with another woman was really powerful. Mm-hmm. I just feel like they kept it at a one note, yeah. like she's angry and then she's still angry and there's just no <laughs> depth, which is a shame because her character is so complex mm. and the trajectory that she follows is so powerful that it'd be nice to see a bit more complexity to yeah. it. And yeah. I get that it's kind of meant to it's be a, a dumb... Film. Yeah, I yeah. Know, but I think the others had that. Like mm. they, they had a lot Certainly more... Certainly the first two did. Yeah. yeah, I'd agree they did with Sarah Connor for sure. There's mm. some... i I, I got to admit, that first scene when she walks out onto the freeway with the gut, like with the did rocket launchers... Did you just I got, yeah. I did. I, I actually... Yes. Got, Sarah Connor, she's here. And got, still quite, so ripped. Yeah. Like, what the hell? <laughs> kind, of moved, kind of moved by it. She's like, yeah. oh, that's freaking awesome. Like, yeah. in a way, the trailer didn't because I, I just saw the trailer and thought, oh, God, a retread, I can't deal. And, but that, that shot made me sort of... 
kind of lifted my spirits a bit and made me think, okay, maybe we're in for something a bit different. I mean, it's got a murderous row of screenwriters working in this. Like David Goya, who, you know, has co-written everything from Blade to Batman Begins to all sorts of properties. Uh, Billy Ray, who's... Um, uh, I think he wrote one of the Cloverfield films and, uh, yeah, I think so, and yes. a few other huge films. Shattered Glass was a film he wrote and directed. Um, uh, Cameron, of course, co-wrote the story. Um, it's like they've hired, they've thrown quite a bit of talent at it and they've spent some $180 million <laughs> on it. I think a lot of it they're going to lose. But <laughs> there Especially is, after this review. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was a, a particularly bad opening as well. It, it did, you know, like, I don't want to overestimate our reach. Uh, <laughs> but, but I just, yeah, I don't I don't know. I, I, I felt this was... Look, it's it, damning with faint praise to say, I think this is the best sequel since Terminator 2. Mm. It's. It, I think it's better... I think it's probably on a par, if not slightly better than Terminator 3. It is kind of like you know the the you know the the, the best of the best of the best of what's left to quote hot shots, you know <laughs> it is it's really it's really damning with faint praise to say that because the the sequels are all such a cut below the Cameron original, um, but you know I liked Mackenzie Davis as well. I, I just think yeah I, I think it's time to just hang it up. I think like uh, like they they throw a lot of cool technology at this, but you can't help feeling this constant sense of deja vu. And don't you think that that kind of reveal of like the special effects just has lost its um, luster. That's Mm. it with Terminator 2. Like I remember as a small child going and seeing that at cinema and the technology that was used in that, like the CGI and things like that, was just, it was so exciting because it was completely groundbreaking. And that whole like pause and reveal. Yep, and that's not the case anymore. So Mm. that excitement that goes with it just isn't there. Also, I never understood why he had to wait, the Terminator had to wait until he was like perfectly like reconstructed again after every time like surely he's a machine like just run after them but but also it's like one's liquid metal and, and like because he kept splitting from his skeleton it's like wouldn't he just collapse into goo like how does he re- running around what does he even need the skeleton for you know, started yeah. asking all these kind of questions it kind of r- reminded me a little bit of alex mack do you remember that show i've heard of it yeah oh, okay. I do. maybe yep. it's a <laughs> but yeah just but, like liquid like yeah. moving around and um it's kind of i don't know i feel like those special effects are not it's great now. Mm. <laughs> yeah. I, or, or like Sal said, I think we've just seen them so yeah. many times. Yep. Like it's just, it's all, you know, it's same old, same old now. But uh, yeah, I do agree though. Arnold is a lot of fun. And he's just, between him and Hamilton, their their presence really, yeah. I, I think I think that's the thing. I think having these two in the films automatically makes it the if, best of the sequels. Yeah, it would have been like, if it wasn't for either of those people, it would just would have been garbage. Oh, 100%. Yeah. <laughs> Apologies to Mackenzie Davis, but yeah, she doesn't get that much to do other than fight things. Terminator Dark Fate is now screening at All Good Cinemas. You're listening to Plato's Cave on Triple R. You're listening to a Triple R podcast. Discover more podcasts from Triple R exploring science, technology, food, books, social issues, politics, and more. To listen, hit up the Triple R website or your favourite podcast platform. Our second film tonight is Happy Sad Man. For so long, traditional notions of masculinity force uh, focus on never shedding tears or discussing your problems and fears, or to use sporting parlance, playing through it. But alarming rises in male depression, suicide and violence have shown that these notions don't work and that, in fact, it's vital for men to open up about their struggles, to be honest with themselves and their loved ones about mental illnesses, and to not see these as a stigma, but as a normal part of the human condition as we move through life like physical illnesses and injuries. 
Documentary director Genevieve Bailey introduces us to five men hailing from the city and country of various ages from 70 to mid-30s. Bush musician and carpenter John, rural, rural men's outreach worker Ivan, war photographer Jake, surfer and humanitarian Grant, not Grant, because he's from New Zealand, as he tells <laughs> us, uh, and satirical artist David. They all speak frankly to camera about what, when they felt something was wrong, how they struggled to reconcile and open up about it and seek help, and in many cases how doing this has had a positive effect on their lives and others. So, did this documentary make you happy or sad, man, or a, both? A bit of both. It was a really sweet documentary. Um yeah, I did enjoy it. My, I, I felt like it would have worked better, though, if there were less subjects, I think, because there were five um, men that they looked at. And I think it would have been, um, I guess, more of a deeper dive if they had a, if Genevieve Bailey had a mate be focused on three. Mm. Um, I felt like I would have got more from it. But um, I did really enjoy it. I did enjoy hearing all these men's sort of different experiences and the way that it wasn't wallowing in agony, mm. <laughs> you know what I mean? There was sort of an upbeat tone to it, which is hard to do in a documentary that is about mental health. And it is opening up important conversations when it does come to mental health in Australia, particularly with masculinity. I thought it was interesting, um, David, the performance artist, who just was delightful, hmm. um, he said something about how masculinity bored him or was not interesting, something along those yeah, lines. Yeah, yeah, he found it very banal. Yeah, banal, that was it. And, um, yeah, it, it sort of seemed like each guy in this documentary really rejected that tag and mm. didn't want anything to do with that kind of term masculinity as it was seen. Mm. Um, I also thought it was interesting that they didn't really talk much about the suicide rate of men in Australia, particularly young men and Indigenous men. Um they didn't really touch on that a lot, which was surprising. I thought that kind of would have added to Yeah, it a there was some vague chat about mm. that aspect, yep. but they didn't really, yeah. Mm. But it, it was, yeah, really great sort of heartfelt documentary, really minimal crew, I think super low budget as well. Mm. Definitely worth a look at for sure. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I, um, I agree about the um, statistics to do with uh, Indigenous youth, and particularly mm. young men, and also those living in rural communities. I... I actually was really surprised that that was included as a discussion point because I thought the film wasn't going to go there. Mm-hmm. And it's such a it's such damning statistics and something that is quite shocking when you think about it. And especially for that age range, like a 15 to 24, is, I think mm. it was the, the highest um, rate of, of young men um, of ways in which they're dying. And um, just so heartbreaking. I was really moved by this film. I... I was actually expecting from the trailer, which I'd seen at MIF, um, for it to be a little bit more twee. I kind of wasn't expecting mm. it to be as hard-hitting as I found it. I thought that uh, we were chatting uh, in the studio beforehand off-air about um, Genevieve Bailey, is that right? Yeah, mm-hmm. um, who's the film director, and she's just so young. And it's really quite – I think she's quite a, a fascinating filmmaker because she's able to put her subjects – 
at ease and that's so clear from the way in which these men appear on screen and also what she's able to capture in those moments. I was really touched, particularly um, the just these small moments and interactions that are kind of overlaid over the narration. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it was it was a film that I, I wasn't expecting to like as much as I did and I think that those moments really anchor it. I think... W- one thing when I was watching it flick was yeah. there's one scene when she's talking because she does have, I think, with at least two of the um, men that are in the film quite deep friendships with, which, you know, came through and was really quite beautiful. But there was one moment where she's talking to David and the camera is just shaking. And I thought, why would she choose to put this shot in when the camera's just shaking so badly? But it was from her laughing at him so much <laughs> that she's like, I can't keep the camera still because yeah. you're making me laugh. <laughs> and, you know, then I thought that was, yeah, very sweet. I loved um, his David's interactions with his mum. Like, she was just like, is that a joke? Yeah. <laughs> he was, um, yeah, I loved him. I yeah, loved him. his dog, Terry, his uh, wet dog perfume. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> just, yeah, what a gorgeous man. And so, so much intimacy in those moments. I think that's what really um, spoke to me. I thought it was lovely having the inclusion of those family members. And some of the some of the um, subjects I thought that we didn't get to spend enough time with, similar to what you're saying, mm. Sally, about maybe the film um, would have been better off sticking to maybe, you know, two or three and doing a deeper dive. Mm. Um so we we don't get all of um, the complexity of each of the stories. And also some of the men, I suppose, in some ways um, seemed maybe slightly guarded, but um, that was probably because their role was more as a mentor to try help other men with depression. Yes. Yep. Mm. So I noticed that sometimes they went more into that style rather than maybe offering much about their own experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, who's the main guy? Joe? John. 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 Yeah, yeah, I loved uh, when you meet his two sons at the end. Mm. Those interactions were so beautiful. And I just could have, yeah. I don't know, I really wanted to spend more time with those men. I thought it, they were just such, there's such a lovely tenderness mm. between those father, father-son relationships. Um, I had the experience of, I just went and saw it at Cinema Nova beforehand and um, Genevieve Bailey like popped it. Popped into oh, the wow. cinema afterwards and was like, oh, hope you enjoyed my film. It was really sweet. It's like Candyman. <laughs> <laughs> Say her name five times, you bitch. It was really – and she was just talking a bit about the difficulty of, um, of you know, promoting her film as, mm. you know, a young filmmaker and I was really kind of quite touched by that. Because so I think she, she, did, she yeah. did like an impromptu Q&A afterwards. Yeah, That's yeah. great. And she just sort of was talking a bit about where she's going to be screening it, where she'll be appearing, yep. oh, what, great. what kind of things she'll be doing. And I thought just in terms of like – her as a filmmaker, she has like a really quiet confidence and you uh-huh. see her on screen quite a lot. Mm. And I was really, I was quite impressed. I really loved her earlier documentary, I Am 11. Um, I can't, I can't quite work out how old she was when she did it, but I'm kind of like, I'm just amazed by her skill. I think she's mid thirties nowadays. I think oh, she, is she, I think she's seen okay. younger. She's just a lot younger. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. But anyhow, she, mm. I'm, I was just really impressed with her just on screen persona, and I think with, if you are going to be a documentarian who's going to appear in your own films, mm. there, you know, you're a big part of that, and she is able to have this confidence with this me- these men, and also have um, just be very empathetic to their situation. I think that really opens the film up. Yeah, I, I, I get the feel, and she never overwhelms it, which is yeah. which is great as well. Um, I had the, I got the feeling most of them were friends of hers. Like I just yeah. got that feeling, like be be on that documentary. Yeah, and see, yep. they seem to kind of go yeah, back. They're people she knew. She made it very clear that she had a friendship with John. Yeah. Um, and, and I had a feeling she'd David, known Jake for a little while, and she'd known Jake, the war photographer. Yes, yes. And that she'd known oh, yes, David. That they'd worked together. She said, um, yeah. on film, uh, he was a cinematographer. Mm. Yes, and David, she 
was friends with. Yep. Yeah. So it was kind of yeah. I got the feeling that a lot of that yeah was facilitated the 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 the, uh, uh, the intimacy. Yeah. I I, I really uh, loved the, the the men's stories. Um, you almost could have for me. You could have made a film about Ivan. Yeah. About the the rural outreach yeah. guy and 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 his what he does to kind of help hold that community. Does together. anyone know if she's aiming to Genevieve Bailey? Um, her we're talking about her documentary Happy Sad Man. If she's aiming to get this sort of out rural areas, I she, believe she, so. Yeah, she's a few, well. She mentioned at the end of the screening that she's going out to a few communities. So I yep. think that there is that intention, and I'm interested to see how it will be received there. There was. Um, a man next to me who seemed quite moved, who would have been around that age range. Mm-hmm. And I wonder, just just watching a film that touches upon those really issues that, that have a lot of stigma, like yep. mental mental health as a, as a um, topic is um, not often discussed and when it is there's often a lot of misconceptions mm-hmm. um, around it. So I'd be interested to see how it would play in those rural communities and whether it could be perhaps connected up with, with some of those mm. support or outreach programs. Mm. There are screenings mooted at the moment for Bendigo, Castlemaine, Geelong, Yarraville and Rosebud. At the mm. moment, so there yeah, some some outer areas, and yep. I'm sure, yeah, uh, she she was planning to um, expand that and have rural screenings. I yeah, I was fascinated by the stories. I don't know if it worked as well as a film. It didn't seem to hang together as a movie. I felt like there, in the way, it's like it was. There didn't seem to be a unifying story. It just seemed to be kind of testimonials. Yes, and mm. and a lot of the testimonials went over the same ground quite a bit. There was a little bit of treading water, and I felt more. Yeah, I, I, I just guess I, I, you know, like making a documentary. I, I guess I do crave a sort of a narrative. Mm. And I, like, for instance, like the next film we'll be discussing tonight has one heck of a narrative. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and you know, and I just kind of like I think this is important to get this out there, but it felt like this felt like something you would, you know, you'd probably see for forty minutes on the ABC or iView or mm-hmm. something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and uh, yeah and and like and like you've both said you, you there are stories you kind of want to dig more into mm. and find out more about um but yeah but other than that i mean it's it is uh, like I, I think it's it does have an importance beyond that that it does fulfill i think it's important to start these conversations mm-hmm. i like that she's done it in a, and the, my favorite thing about the way Genevieve Bailey has directed this is it, she does give it, there is a, a light touch that, yeah, it isn't twee. It is, mm. but it, it sort of looks at these serious issues with, you know, you know, the, 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 the men involved have humor about things. They, there's a, a lot of, um, yeah, it's, it's just, there's a lightness of spirit there. And there's like, look, it isn't all doom and gloom. Mm. We can find a way out of this. This is, you know, this is normal. Mm. And that's the main thing. It's like mental illness is normal. It's like mm. physical illness. And, yeah, and I think that that's an important point. And for that and, and for getting the film out, um, um, she has to be absolutely applauded. Now, I should uh, I should say if you or somebody you know is suffering mental health issues or at risk of self-harm, you can call Lifeline any time of the day or night on 13 11 14. It's open 24 hours. Happy Sad Man is now screening and limited release at selected independent cinemas. Triple R on FM, digital, online and via the app. In the late 1980s, we meet two African-American teens, William Gates and Arthur Agee, 
both electrifying young basketball talents who were spotted by a talent scout and offered scholarships to the predominantly white Illinois high school, St. Joseph's, which has an excellent basketball program known for turning out NBA talent like Detroit Pistons great Isaiah Thomas. Originally planned as a 30-minute short film for the US public network PBS, director Steve James and producers Frederick March and Peter Gilbert wound up following Gates and AG for the next four years throughout their entire high school experience. Both hailing from poor African-American neighbourhoods in Chicago, just attending St. Joseph's is a challenge for William and Arthur. What with 90-minute commutes to school, long and difficult workouts and practices, and acclimating to a foreign social environment, Gates and AG struggled to improve their academic skills along with their athletic ones, as well as an academic system built around athletic success and the sporting prestige and financial reward this can bring the school. Along the way, their families celebrate their successes and support each other during times of economic hardship caused from the school change. Will William and Arthur last the distance at St. Joseph's, get that all-important college scholarship, and achieve their dreams of making the NBA? Flick, this was your Flick's pick this week. (laughs) Obviously, Obviously, you think it has strong form and huge upside, but what exactly led you this, you, to this being your top draft pick for this week? <laughs> yeah, so I was actually introduced to this film in um, well, the first year of my undergrad studies, and I, it wasn't, um, I was a very bad student, and I missed the screening. So I just read all the articles that were related to it, so I could get through class. <laughs> wow! And so I'd read all this stuff, and I was so annoyed at myself because I was like, oh, this sounds actually like a really good film, and why didn't I watch it? Um, but I, it just was my introduction to documentary, mm. um, which, uh, you know, was a fantastic choice by my um, uh, lecturer at the time. So I kind of came from it more from the style of what the, the documentary form and how they approached the stories. And so it was a very formal approach without having seen the film. So I kind of had this background to it before watching it for the first time. And it was such a – I ended up watching it in parts, which really did ruin the feel of it um, because I was just trying to finish a, an assignment. So that was when I, um, yeah, it was in my first year of uni and it just stuck with me. And mm. I, um, I love, I actually really love sport, but I feel like it's, it's so rare that you see it presented in this sort of way. It's really beautifully cinematic and it's, sport allows for this beautiful athleticism to be captured. And I think that out of all the mediums, it really has the um, ability to, to capture it in such a way that it kind of puts you puts you there with them and I I used to teach this subject at Melbourne Uni called Sex, Sport and Film and we looked at a sports film every week and it was in relation to gender studies and it was was just kind of interesting watching this film through the lens of um, class and race and and having this um, introduction to this world that was just so powerfully um, told through these through these boys, and I, I really I just love the way in which the information is delivered to us. Um, I, th- I just um, I just think it's a really stunning documentary. I suppose, I suppose that's why I picked. It. I know it doesn't fit in with the other films we're watching. I was tempted to pick Terminator Two, um, <laughs> although now I know I should have picked Terminator One. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was going to be the favourite. Um, but yeah, I, I I suppose I just I'm I it's I've got a bit of a I just really love sports films. So mm. this was this has just stood out to me as one of the films that is that wonderful crossover of form between documentary and and capturing a truth to that community through a very um, 
just very focused storyline. Mm. And I, I, for me, it's just more about the art of storytelling. Um, but also, I just, I'm I quite like watching basketball. So it kind of is that side of it as well. Yeah. Yeah. You've got to be the first student ever flick that would read papers before watching I know, the film. what a nerd. No, I think I, was, I honestly, I recall it so clearly. It was like I had something due. So I was just like, better read it because. <laughs> Yeah, oh, that's funny. Did yeah. you just see the runtime? It's like 171 I minutes. I don't have this that. This happened to me. Yeah. So, I, I, full disclosure, I have only seen half of Hoop Dreams, which was today, because it does have quite a long runtime. I was like, yeah, oh my sorry. God, it's nearly three hours. So, um, but I'm 100% going to go home and watch the rest of it because it was fantastic. Um, I have been really aware of this documentary because it is so well known and so well acclaimed, but it's just. Something that I hadn't watched because I wouldn't usually seek out a basketball mm. documentary. But, um, yeah, it's really gripping and it's so easy to drop into narrative about sports because there already is kind of one there with the competitiveness yep. and all this sort of stuff. But it doesn't do that. It takes this really sort of humanistic approach that we go on this really deep journey with these two guys from what I've seen so far. And within the first hour and a half, a lot has happened in yeah. their lives. Yeah. And yeah. yeah, it's, um, yeah, seeing that really big disconnect, that sort of um, when they go to St. Joseph's and you know, just saying we don't know how to socialise with white people mm. and how to kind of fit into that world that's so completely different to theirs and this amount of pressure that's put on these two guys to succeed and to break away from the poverty that they're, you know, they've been raised in and they're both really kind and want to help their families out and, yeah, it was, yeah, it's really beautiful and I look forward to looking at the end of it when I get home for sure. And that, and the responsibility as well Massive. placed on these young boys mm. and I love the father's comment that he had wanted he had wanted this for himself and, and he, he kind of sees that being carried through his son. And I yep. thought that was really fascinating, especially when we're thinking about um, families living in, in poverty or, mm. or struggling so much with them. Um, Finances, and there was also the interesting duality too. His yeah, that's Arthur Agee's father, Bo. Mm, yeah. uh, he, um, we're talking about the documentary Hoop Dreams. Uh, he, uh, Bo, always had this interesting relationship with his son. That's kind of like so proud, and and again, so investing so much of himself yep. in his son's yeah. success, but also as a um, as a substitute for his own success. Yeah. You know, it's like he yeah. wanted to make the the grade, and he didn't. And even there's a there's a there's a wonderful scene uh, where the two of them play off against each other in a street basketball yeah. match that quickly becomes quite heated. And that is f a fascinating dynamic. Yeah. Uh, and the way Bo reacts to something. And yeah, there's quite, you know, the, the, the sun also rises kind of thing happening there and the father feeling a bit, you know, less than. But um, yeah, uh, class and race and, and economics are just beautifully woven into the fabric of this film like it's mm. so um uh, it's it's so um it's it's just it's never it never beats you over the head with it it just beautifully kind of it's just always there and informing every every choice um um, and the, uh, the Arthur is very charismatic and very fun to watch, and and you know and William is so sweet and you know at one point his coach actually speculates that he might not have the kill the so called killer instinct to make mm. the big league because yeah. he's such a sweet kid and 
And yeah, and just watching them and you want so badly um, for them to succeed. The basketball scenes are also on a technical level are really, really well shot. And, yeah. And they position themselves beautifully and it's beautifully edited. And I mean, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a big, big movie, but it's also, it's just instantly absorbing. And, um, and, and these, and these guys are such interesting characters. It's 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 a classic for a reason. I mean, it's the first. It was the first uh, documentary nominated for the Academy Award for editing. Yeah. Oh, really? What does anyone know? Sort of the director's, I guess, motivation to make this documentary. What was their? Does anyone know sort of their background I, into it? I don't know much about that. I Had they done sporting they, things before, they, or was it? I know that they gave money to um, the two boys, um, the two men, um, mm-hmm. who um, the, it focused on. Yep. Um, there was a lot of controversy around um, the winning the what was it? I can't remember exactly which award it was, but the they had a test with flashlights for whether or not um, the jury liked the film and after 15 minutes everyone had put on their flashlight to say they didn't like it so they started to question the jury process yeah oh, really? yeah i know I, and i think that wow. says a lot about the racial um racial discrimination yeah. uh, at the time That's... and just having a story and having that time dedicated to these black lives is really quite mm. quite powerful especially at this point in time like i remember being a kid when this came out and basketball like it was just it was huge massive. yeah it was just yeah. well. They've all got posters of Jordan on the walls. Yeah. Like he looms large over yes. this yeah. unsp- as yeah. his sort of unspoken colossus. Yeah, uh, it's yeah. It, it's also uh, the whole. I find the whole U.S. sporting system fascinating. Like the like, whole the scholarship system yes. based on yes. sport. Yeah, and, it is. It's very interesting. And isn't the it? fact that you know these kids are often like like in the end. Yeah, I'm, it's churlish to call it a spoiler because these are all things that happen in real life and I'm yeah. not going to go too much. But And, and the documentary's been out since 1994. <laughs> 25 it's okay. years. It's all right. But the fact that William's in, like ultimate pass grade is literally the lowest a person can possibly get in order to get through. And it's mm. like, and often that is the case with a lot of these kids who struggle, athlete, uh, who athletically excel but struggle academically. They're pushed to, so to get them to college they you know they 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 they're pushed to get to the the minimum amount so they can get to college so they can get the scholarship mm. so they can get onto an MBA team so the school gets the rewards of that and yeah. they can say hey look Isaiah Thomas went here or someone else yeah. went here or yeah. and it's all this I'll scratch your back you scratch mine and it's all and none of it actually has anything to do with actually these kids, athletic, you know, academically excelling. Interesting mm. as well how I think it was William that said it's Isaiah Thomas. Mm. Is that right? Mm. Um, how he said, "Oh, people just keep comparing me to him, and I'm not him." Yeah, yeah, and it's mm. like exactly right. It's like they're just trying to get this name, other name, through their school. Yeah, mm. absolutely. And putting it, you know, in, into a box, and and yeah, and I find that system. It's both incredible for what it can do for these kids. Like it can literally unlock their entire lives. Like you know, they get in the NBA, they buy their family a house, they yeah. get them out of the neighbourhood, they get into, you know, they could save their families' lives. But on the other hand, it's so it seems so corrupt on an administrative yeah. level because these schools yeah. are kind of gaming the system in order to get. And they got this other school that are like poaching these enormous kids from other schools in order to be on their team yeah. to have the biggest and baddest team out there. And it's just, yeah, it, it feels mercenary in a way that sure professional sports, I get it, but 
high school sports. Oh, it starts, yeah, it and starts should young. not be this mm. mercenary. And that's kind of, yeah. And so you're constantly left with this dual sort of, I mean, you know, I'm sure none of the players in the system would begrudge it because in the end, you know, what it can mean to them. But yeah, it's again, and it's a fascinating, as well as class and race, a fascinating, fascinating dissection of how capitalism works in mm. America. So Hoop Dreams is currently available to stream on Stan. You've been listening to Plato's Cave on Triple R with Sally Christie, Flick Four, and sorry, I didn't mean to chuckle <laughs> yeah, during your God, name. God. That's my real name. <coughs> yeah, <Paul>. Flick. <laughs> so, that's so cool. Uh, Sally Christie, Flick Ford, and myself, Paul Anthony Nelson. On tonight's show, we discussed Terminator: Dark Fate. Now screening at all good cinemas. And even a few bad ones. Happy Sad Man, now on limited release at all good independent cinemas. And Hoop Dreams, now streaming on Stan. You can listen back to the show within half an hour on Triple R On Demand or check out the songs we played on the Plato's Cave page at rrr.org.au right now. You can also subscribe to the Plato's Cave podcast via iTunes or wherever else you find your favourite podcasts. Next week, our intrepid cavers are having what might be the most exciting week of movies <laughs> I, I know. have so in, in years. We, are, we will explore uh, the brief, the limited cinema engagement of uh, Martin Scorsese's Netflix mob blockbuster, The Irishman. It's not brief. It's 3.5 hours. <laughs> <laughs> I know. The season is brief. <laughs> the film Just is a goddamn you. miniseries. <laughs> Uh, Pedro Almodovar's latest masterpiece, Pain and Glory. And for our retro title, we are going to get crazy <laughs> with Andre Zulavsky's uh, incredible uh, meta-horror masterpiece uh, starring Isabella, G- the aforementioned Isabella Gianni and Sam Neill, Possession. I'm really nervous to talk about Possession, to be honest. It's it's how gonna, do you even do that? It's gonna be crazy. We're gonna try and get our, we're gonna try and get our tentacles all the way around that one. A huge thank you to uh, to Faith for paneling the show. Oh, Faith, you flick. Look to me. It's all F words <laughs> for uh, to flick for paneling the show tonight. Faith for editing our podcast and Lisa Kovacevic for producing our show. Thanks for listening to Triple R's Plato's Cave, a weekly radio show of informed, passionate and fun film criticism. Broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Monday. Hope you enjoyed the podcast version and feel free to get in touch with us via the Plato's Cave Facebook page, Twitter or via the Triple R website.